AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, so I'm here with John Huey from the DC group, and he's been with us a couple of times, uh, probably more than a couple of times, and it's always great to talk with him. Uh, the reason he's here today is he uh, sent me an essay that he wrote that we'll be posting on AA Beyond Belief pretty soon, and it's titled A Journal of the Plague Year. And the title is actually taken from uh, a work by an English author, Daniel Defoe. He wrote in, 19, in 1772 about the last uh, bubonic plague uh, case, I guess, in London at that time. So anyway, John wrote a really interesting essay about um, what's going on with uh, COVID-19 and how it relates to those of us in uh, recovery and uh, the similarities between uh, what's going on with COVID and recovery and just, just a lot of really interesting topics. And so because this is such a um, because I think that COVID has played such a, a serious um, role and changed the way that we're dealing with our recovery and it's had an impact on people who are um, suffering from addiction right now, you know, I, I, it's a great opportunity to talk about with somebody who is a better thinker than I am. So anyway, hey, John, how you doing? Yeah, hi. It's It's good to talk to you again. And don't be so self-depreciating you know <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to a rational person the yeah. night after the shit show debate we right sat through right last night right, so right. it's going to be a genuine pleasure to have some sort of rational discussion rather than you know thinking about complete insanity but that's not what we're here to chat about we're here to chat about the nexus between what we're going through uh in the outer world and what we're facing in our secular recovery world and how those two things interact. And of course, you know, other than the obvious political horror here in the United States, we're a worldwide outfit uh, and uh, everybody in the world is affected by the COVID pandemic and the outbreak. And, um, you know, uh, I, I of course was paying attention to the, you know, the sort of, nexus between alcohol and some of the things that have caused the pandemic to be exacerbated, like, you know, ass cheek to ass cheek uh, pool parties and stuff like that, uh, that are alcohol fueled. But I, I didn't, when I originally was thinking about it, as I say in the article, and we'll probably go fairly far afield from the article itself, although we can use that as a template, um, but uh, as I was first thinking of it, I was thinking, well, you know, COVID is sort of a, you know, it's a, it's a threat to older people like me, of course, a dire threat, and it's, uh, it causes a lot of societal damage, but, you know, it, it really isn't that similar to alcoholism. That's what I was originally thinking. And then as I thought more about it, I said, well, shit, you know, there, there is a lot of, uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot of points of congruence with this thing. And I was wondering, I assume you, when, when we started chatting about it, you thought the same thing. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I found that really interesting. I, I, I really wasn't thinking about the similarities between COVID and alcoholism or addiction in general. And, uh, but when I read your points there, I thought, yeah, that's really quite true. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's like you either you either pay attention to it or you don't. And if you don't pay proper attention to it, it'll kill you. And you know, that's uh, that, that's maybe the overarching kind of thing to sort of boil it down and and simplify it. But uh, you know, it is a uh we're talking about two fatal conditions. And as I dug deeper and deeper into it as the essay unfolded, and just to say, again, parenthetically, it took me, this one took me a long time to write. I assume the podcast and the, you know, the paper will be up at the same time. 
or close to the same time. And, you know, this one, I normally knock these things out when I sit down to write them in, um, you know, a month or so with most. This one took me four months to write. I put it down. I wrote it. I rewrote it. I threw it away. I picked it back up. I was wondering, what's up with me? And it was that this subject, this nexus, uh, was just very difficult. It was difficult emotionally, difficult personally, because when I connected it up with the two friends of mine, one a very, very dear, close, old, personal friend who died last year of this, and the other one, the younger fellow that was more of a program friend or acquaintance or whatever we put it, somebody I knew rather well, but not one of my closest personal friends. It it struck me that these tragedies that I was seeing in the outer and the inner world had something to do with one another. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that with COVID, there is, um, there's an element of denial, I guess, amongst a lot of people, you know, denying, denying science or thinking that, oh, it won't hurt me. It's going to be someone else. Uh, also kind of similar to, um, you know, addiction where you're, you know, you're in denial that you have a problem, you know, it's, it's other people, you're not as bad as other people, that kind of thing. And the, then before you know it, you know, you've, you've got it. You know, it's like, you can't, you can't, you can't really fight. You can't fight biology and you can't fight, you know? Yeah. And, and once you got it, it's uh, hard to get rid of it. Yep. And also it's interesting that the, the, the two kind of go together socially. Whereas, you know, when we're, well, not all of us, but a lot of us, when we're drinking, it's something that we do with other people. Sometimes we go out to bars and so forth. Um, and same thing with COVID. And also when we recover, we get together with other people and it takes some cooperation and helping one another, just like it would, it would with this pandemic. If we're really going to get through this pandemic in one piece as a, as a society, we've got to work together. We've got to help each other. We've got to support each other and we've got to be grounded in reality. And that's the same thing with recovery. We need to be grounded in reality. We need to be supportive of each other. You know, we need to do all the right things that to, to stay sober and you need to do all the right things to protect other people from this disease of COVID. Right. And if you're not reality based, if you engage in wishful thinking and magical thinking and, you know, thinking that you're going to get away with it every time, you know, sooner or later, the results are going to be fatal. Yeah. If you think you know better than people who've studied um, pandemics and epidemics and so forth their entire right. life, well, if you think you I know mean, better and it's all going to go away and, and, and so forth, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's well, just... if, if, if you have a problem drinking and you think you know better than the people that have survived for 20, who had as bad or worse conditions than you, and then who survived for 20 30, 40 or more years, uh, you got a bit of a problem there, okay? Because the, the, the thing about COVID and the thing about alcoholism is that these conditions apply to everyone equally. I'll tell you a little story about equality and alcoholism and how it's a leveler. It's not in the article, but it's a story, <coughs> excuse me, many years ago, I had a gentleman who I knew, who I guess was, this is 1987, 88. He was a, I guess you would call him a sponsor. I don't really believe in sponsorship, but my old friend Jeremiah was one of these Capitol Hill operators. He was the legislative aide for a congressman I used to call on years and years ago about things. And I got to know him before I got sober. And then, you know, when I sobered up, he... He used to take me around to places that I normally wouldn't go. And there was this very prominent meeting at the time. I think it still goes on in some fashion. But at the time, this was a meeting that met in the U.S. Capitol building at 8 o'clock on Tuesday mornings. It's called the Yays and Nays. And um, 
it had people in that meeting who I won't name, who you would know, all right, even now, all right? And I would basically sit in there and keep my mouth shut because it was a very hierarchical place. And you had Sandy Beach sitting in there and old Hal Marley, Mr. Attitude of Gratitude in the chairman's chair. And it was a smaller, you know, maybe 30, 40 people, but everybody in those days sitting there in their little Brooks Brothers suits all nicely dressed to go out and conquer this, this madhouse of Washington, which has gotten progressively worse over the decades. But I'm sitting there one morning and this guy speaks and they, they, he sort of says his name. And then I look to the left of me and he mentioned something. And then I knew the name and it struck me, the guy sitting next to me was the son of one of America's wealthiest people ever, okay? He was just like a freaking billionaire, right? And here I was just a little old middle-class X-ray salesman from Kensington, Maryland, sort of snuck in with the big boys. And I'm sitting there next to the guy and I look at him and I realize like, shit, that's who that is. And at that moment, it dawned on me what in the hell is he doing here if you can buy your way out of this? If there's a way other than this to get this, he could just go buy a clinic in Switzerland if that's what fixed you, okay? And it really made an impression on me, not him per se, but the fact that, and not the fact that there were a lot of fancy people in the meeting, but it was the fact that it didn't matter who you were. Okay. You know, I, I used to sit next to this guy in a meeting that came directly from the shelter to the meeting. And I used to go take meetings down to the shelter at second and D the the old community for creative nonviolence shelter down there. And, you know, I, it, all these guys were the same in terms of, you know, the severity of their illness, which is the same. I mean, if you end up in the ICU with COVID, they don't care who you are. You're just another guy in there with a tube down your throat, right? So these conditions are a great equalizer. And if we got them, we're not gonna beat them. Not the, the cheap and easy way, right? So, you know, uh, what's to say? Um, alcoholism and addiction has a very high fatality rate. I know that a lot of times on our little discussions around the program, we like to focus on all the, you know, the happy talk and, right. you know. Uh, oh, but it's a very small percentage of uh, people that are that become addicts actually get go into recovery. Very small percentage. I think it's what, like three maybe percent? Um, I, I don't know. It's the, pretty the small, statistics though. Statistics suck, but, you know, the AA success yeah. uh, is well under 10%. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's it's a it's sort of a political football these yeah. days. Yeah, it's kind of, it, like, and, and you can always argue about how you even measure success anyway. Right, right, right. But, you know, the, the fact is, is that anecdotally in our own recoveries, we can see that, uh, you know, a lot of people come and a lot of people go, right? And a lot of the people that go don't do so well. And even, and as I say in the article about one of the stories in there that I talk about, even people who do come and do get it and do stay and do have remarkable improvements in their lives, even some of them go and end up deader than a doornail like this guy I talk about. I know. And for as long as I've been in uh, recovery and been around AA, and I've known a lot of people who have died, um, sometimes it's still, it still is bewildering when you know someone like that who has been sober for so long. And, um, but, you know, it could be me too. You know, I just, I don't, I don't any, doubt it. It could be and, any of us. Yeah. I'm, you know, um, as you may know, I'm of the leftist political persuasion and there's a dialectical materialism applies to 
the science of politics. I'm not going to go into that. But I'll be damned if dialectical materialism, which gives you a direct linear line between cause and effect, right, applies to alcoholics. Because they can be the most perplexing cases and people that you can possibly imagine. So what do we have to do to, uh, what do we have that allows us to erect a bulwark against alcoholism? It's gotta be stuff that's very basic and very, and that's where the COVID part comes in too. What do we have that works that we're sure works with COVID? Well, social distancing and masks. Those are the only two things. Very simple things. Now, COVID's going to have a purely scientific conclusion in the end. That's very clear. That's the good news on that side of the ledger. But this alcoholism stuff, I don't see any vaccine on the no. way. Do you? No. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, and what's what's it's going to be interesting john to see how uh how the recovery community comes out of covid when they're when when society does go back to to normal i suppose uh because the recovery community has certainly changed a lot you know with covid uh meetings have gone online uh people there are no longer um there's no longer the issue of geography when it when it comes to what meeting you go to and or who you're going to interact with uh, people are now um, hearing things and meetings that they might not have heard at their own their their home group in uh, Kansas City, you know, or or in DC when they're when they're um, you know ha- when they have other when they're exposed to other ideas and other people. And yeah, well, I, th- I think that's I think that's good, you know. It's good, but I worry about the newcomer. Yes, I new that world. that really is interesting to me too, and, and concerning. Um, I don't know if I could do it, John, as a newcomer. If I was if I was trying to get sober right now with online meetings, I don't know if I could do that. But people are doing it. Oh um, yeah, people are doing yeah. it. Yeah. And people are attesting to that fact. But this is such a new this is an experiment in sobriety that I probably won't live to see come out in the fullness of time. But uh, you know, my own experiment in sobriety involved face-to-face contact with other human beings who I could see recover in a sort of broader spectrum than you get electronic. It was accessible. Here's the thing. So when I was getting sober, and of course I was, I was young, uh, but um, I had no telephone. I had no, I had no job. I had no money. Uh, there was no internet back in those days. I wouldn't have had it if I, if I did anyway, if, if it was there. So all I had was these meetings to go to. And I think sometimes, you know, it's great for those of us who do have a home and a computer and internet service and so forth where we can get to meetings, but there's a lot of down and outers, you know, that don't have internet. And there's a lot of people out there who, um, because of their addiction are in a place where they can't get, they can't find a people like we were able to find in the 1980s when we found our way to a meeting, you know, and that's, that's, um, that's a real problem. Yeah. Well, you know, I knew that I was serious in my first year when, and, and, and that year, 87 to 88, that first year, um, I was traveling, but I wasn't traveling as much as I did in subsequent years. I was traveling maybe, 25, 30% of the time. So I was in my office at 23rd and M every day, pretty much during the week. And uh, when I found myself and I set my own schedule, I kind of, I wasn't exactly my own boss. I worked for a corporation, but I did sort of, they let me alone. I did a good job for them. And I was the only person in DC they had at the time. And so I pretty much made my own way there. And uh, I find myself every day at 11.40 or 11.45 going out the door and walking down the street to that famous cathedral 
on Rhode Island Avenue, St. Matthew's Cathedral, and walking up the stairs in a decrepit, broken down church building that used to be next door there, and going to this meeting filled with people just like me, right? Who had other things to do at noon every day, right? But who somehow or another figured out that that's where they needed to be. And the fact that I was doing that and I watched them do that and was able to physically see these people in the same place every day, working on the same issues, that physical connection was very important to me. And that's what we're not getting here now. And I'm concerned about that because as I say in the story, this thing is really intractable, you know? Even, even when we have that, it's difficult. And we lose it. And as I get older here in this, uh, I get increasingly concerned about the ones we lose. And how are we in this new confusing world that's arisen going to reach them. Did you have um, people in your group in DC who um, didn't much care for the Zoom meetings and so therefore they just, you don't ever see them anymore? Mm, the regulars are pretty consistent. We had a technical difficulty. Our, we have a, a moderator of the meeting and he was gone last weekend and Zoom all of a sudden put a password on it and nobody could get the password so the, the meeting didn't happen. And, you know, people were very concerned. I got, you know, I was going back and forth trying to figure out what to do until we figured out, well, there's nothing we can do till our friend Barry comes back, which he did and it's all fixed now. Um, you know, I even had Joe C up in Canada asking me, where's the <laughs> meeting, you know? God, he gets around, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he gets around. I was, I was saying, is, he, is this guy following me again? Uh, you know, trying to convert me to AA again or something? you know, uh, which won't happen. But, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, people like it, right? But when the hills, the Hill Center, where we have them, I mean, we have a wonderful place for that meeting. It's a historic old building. Uh, uh, it used to be the uh, Naval Hospital. Right. I've seen the, pictures of it. The um, Navy, mm -hmm. or, yeah. In the built in 18, just after the Civil War, 1871 or 72. And it's now, of course, a community center. And uh, due to the age of our group, and uh, we're not going back until we have vaccines in the arm. So, uh, but I'm pretty certain that as soon as we have vaccine in the arm, we'll be in there. But I can almost guarantee you that some other day during the week, There'll be a Zoom meeting. Yeah, as well. yeah. I think It'll that I, absolutely. I think that's going to be with most groups are going to be doing that. I know. I know our group is. We're going to probably continue with the online meetings when we start meeting in person. And we're the same. Our group probably won't go back. Well, our church is closed down. The church where we meet is closed uh, at least through May of 2021. So. You know that so that we're we're just we're online exclusively now. Now there's a group of people that meet in a park, you know, um, where they do so their social distancing and 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 wear masks. Um, I don't participate in that, but um, there are people who do. So yeah, that, well, that's you know, good. A couple of our younger members from Sunday um, decided they needed that face to face, and they they started meeting on an ad hoc basis in a park in near the Capitol in Southeast Washington. Uh, on Saturdays. So from time to time, they have a Saturday meeting under a tree. I, I haven't, I avoid Metro as much as possible these days. So uh, yeah, that's what they're doing here too. That's what they're doing here too. And if yep. it rains, they won't meet, but for most, on most days they, they will. Yep. I think it's Monday and Wednesday they meet in the park. So, yeah. so that people are, people are sort of feeling their way through this and working around it, but it doesn't get, to the central mystery, which is why do we lose so many of our brothers and sisters? Why do they die? And I think it rattles us. 
And I think that we forget about them too easily. And I think in some ways, because of the threat that their deaths pose, we forget about and let them go too easily. I think, and I'm just like, I think like everybody else, I need to learn from these things. In a way, we almost get hardened to it. You know, um, I mean, I've known a lot of people, John, I know you have too, who have died over the years, over the last 30 years I've been in the program. And some of them really surprised me. Uh, and uh, But God, I guess I've grown a thick skin to, to many, it for a many. while. Well, you know, even the ones you know that are coming can be really hard, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I knew many people that never really set foot in a meeting who died because of the type of acquaintances and friends I've had. And uh, that first story I tell in the article about my friend who died in Thailand, we've known, well, he had this incredible body, incredible strength. He was just like a, you know, and just uh, an amazing specimen of a person. And uh, I'd say in the article that what killed many people in their 30s and 40s didn't kill him till he was 76. But so what I, was his story? Did, was he sober for a good long time? John? Well, he was so, sober for a short period of time. He was a great friend of mine in the, the I, I met him in the famous old Admiral Benbow bar on uh, Connecticut. We've Avenue, talked about that was, before. Yes. I've talked about the glorious Admiral Benbow, uh, which is of course I idealize. It's a place that closed in 1979. <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have gone. I still hold it in the, <laughs> in the highest esteem. Yeah. Uh, but we were big friends and running buddies, and um, we had just an incredible amount of fun. And But he was very smart, and he was like all of us who were bohemians in those days, underemployed. But he was so brilliant in so many ways that he figured out a make, way to make money overseas. And around about, I remember the first time he went on a long extended jaunt, we were getting drunk on an American Express card he didn't intend to pay. <laughs> uh, uh, and in Georgetown, the weekend Reagan was inaugurated. Okay. <laughs> he was on his way to Saudi Arabia and he said, fuck them, they'll never find me. And uh, we were getting completely whacked there. And uh, there were just like all kinds of stories. But, you know, he would come back periodically. And even though he was from Colorado, Washington was his sort of his home base because he'd started out there in the Peace Corps. He was one of the first Peace Corps people back in the early 60s. He's like five, six years older than me. Uh, and um, he had deep ties in D.C. And on one of these tries, he had gotten so sick in Saudi Arabia, he'd had to quit his job, very lucrative job he had there and showed up back in DC, sort of at loose ends. And I finally sat him down and I said, he was gay. I was not. I, I said, you might not identify with uh, some of the meetings I go to, but why don't you try going to some of the gay meetings? There'll be people there, you know, I'm sure. Okay. And he started going to some of those meetings and of course, he met people that he had known from old days, years before. And he start, He actually gave it a shot. And he was here maybe nine months or so, 10 months. And, you know, uh, of course, came the time he was doing this expat thing. Came the time where he was cycling back out to the Middle East. And I said, well, John, you know, there's going to be tough with no meetings there. And he said don't worry about that. I'm going to drink anyway. And he could figure out, he was a smart guy, he even figured out how to have an endless supply of booze in Saudi, which is not easy. So, uh, no, well, he did, but it was just, it was like, and that was the story, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. That's a hard life. Some sort of semblance of, yeah, I mean, but he had a great life. I mean, I, the, the year after I got sober, I visited him in Tokyo. He was working in Osaka, and uh, we went out to, uh, you know, 
all the hot spots in Japan, uh, me without alcohol, him with it, and the young lady I was with, well, the three of us, and, and then a friend of his. And, you know, he lived in one of these sort of glamorous lives in one of these places. And he thought that was going to get him by. And it did, years and years and years and years. And uh, until the inevitable happened, from time to time, some friends of mine and I uh, would try to tell them, sooner or later, this thing is going to get you. You've got to reconsider sobriety. And I would tell him, look at what it's done for me. I'd say, would you ever believe that I would have two children and a career that took me out of Washington to every corner of the world? Would you ever believe that from where we were getting loaded, working at shitty jobs back in 1973? No, right? Nothing we told him made any sense. And, you know, when he finally made enough money, which he did to retire, he ended up having the ultimate adventure, which was Thailand. That was his place of recreation for, you know, and, you know, he, he ended up supporting a very large Thai family, drinking all the way, drinking his way through apartments and homes. The only home he ended, that ended up intact was the one he bought the Thais. And just on and on and on and on and on until the, uh, uh, he was very fortunate most of his life and his friends. He had lots and lots of friends. And in the last year of his life, when his Thai buddy had basically stripped him of every dime that he had and walked away from him, uh, he ended up losing his apartment in Bangkok and ended up in a public hospital upriver in a regional town called Uba. And he was very lucky that he had befriended a local expatriate Indo-British guy, Indian guy, but a British, British Indian, basically, you know, originally from India, but a British citizen, who took care of him and was watching out for him and had his own family and his own problems up there, but was doing whatever he could for him all the way to the end. And it was the most distressing, depressing end. He would send us photos of the situation to give us an idea of what was going on. And I finally had to tell him, Ajit, I said, just don't send me anything else. Just tell me, I can't look at this anymore. And as I say in the article, this was something we saw the end on the way. We saw that there was a possibility of remediation that he actually knew about and he'd actually tried. But in the end, I had to suck it up and admit that that's the way he wanted to do it. Yeah. And, you know, another similarity to COVID is just the sad way that an alcoholic dies and the sad way that someone dies from COVID. Yeah, it, it, it was remarkable. It was like, in the end, this guy was dying as a charity patient in a charity hospital with no one there. Right. I know. And, and that's the thing with COVID patients. But you're by yourself. You're by yourself. Yeah. And, and, and then the family, even during a pandemic, you know, you can't, you can't even get together as a family to really properly um, send the person off and to, and to grieve and to comfort each other. Yeah, well, and it, it's just, it, yeah, it, well, there's alcoholic deaths and there's alcoholic deaths. And that one really kicked my ass. And when COVID came up, it was like the second wave of it came, you know, cause he died the summer before and, you know, COVID came up and it just, it just brought it all up again, the this needless death. Yeah, this we this has seeing. been a tough year, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. for 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 in all kinds of ways. Just what's going on in the world, the pandemic, people we love dying. You know, life moves on. 
um, our recovery community changing dr- dramatically. Um, yeah, my work situation, I'm working from home. I don't, John, I hardly ever see anything outside of my house. I, I, I mean, I go to the grocery store once a week. I walk my dog around the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm, and, and you know, I'm not complaining because I know I'm luckier than a lot of people. You know, I know a lot of people are, are not that fortunate to even have a job, but yeah, it's just, it, it, everybody has been impacted by this thing. Right. Right. Every and, and, facet of society has right. been impacted by this thing, whether right. they want to admit it or not. Right, right. I mean, even and old independent contractors like me. And that's kind of close to addiction, too. Almost every family in America has been a touch, in the world has been touched by addiction, probably, too, you know? but Well, that's, that's, that's the thing. But, you know, the, the thing with COVID is, um, I mean, there's a way to reduce the overall death rate. But if you have a certain combination of pre-existing conditions and it goes a certain way, that's it, okay? That's all, that's all. And if with alcoholism, which is, I've never considered it a disease. COVID is definitely a disease, but alcoholism, I've always considered it a condition because it can be acquired in so many different ways. uh, but the ideology of it and the whole uh, course of it is that once you get to a certain point, you're dead as well. But it's amazing with alcoholism how far you can go and still come back. Okay? I had, I mean, we were talking to my old friend that died as late as. 2011, when he passed out at that dinner we had for him when he was back here on holiday, and we had to carry him. Here we go. Is a man over 60 or carrying him to his room? How humiliating to be over 60 years of age, be a top flight professional, and being carried by your friends. To, oh, God, that's the fucking humiliating. But, you know, we even thought even then, well, let's try to talk to him, okay? And we, if we had to talk to him in 2011, quite possible he'd still be, you know, sitting in his apartment in Bangkok without having spent the last of his money, uh, you know, possibly alive with a helper or something. Who knows? So that's, 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 that's one part of it. The other part of it, of course, with COVID are the people that just dive in thinking that the rules don't apply to them. So in towards the end of your article, you write about um, what we can do. So you, you, you wrote about how, you know, there is no, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, there is no vaccine, there is no cure for alcoholism, but there, there are, there are, you know, things that we can do to recover, you know, going well, to meetings and yeah, well, it's real simple. Like I said in the, you know, that, that series you have up on the page of mine, you know, you just, um, you know, it's, 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 it's distressingly simple because if it's so simple, why don't more people do it? All right. That's the, that, you know, we'll go in, we, we, you should have a whole episode on paradox one day. Uh, that could be a that could be a juicy topic, but you know the the fact is is that if you do make that decision about your drinking, and you do go to a meeting and find like minded people who you can use as templates for getting better, and you learn how to share something about yourself and who you are, and what you are. I mean, I've never gone to a meeting where this, even if the sharing was bad, that it wasn't somehow relevant. Even if it was the badness that made it relevant, okay? Uh, And, you know, if you really do get it through your thick skull, that the only cure for this thing is abstinence. There are all these people running around the world with other cures, 
But the only cure I've ever seen is abstinence. And once you get that in your head, it sticks. Abstinence, right? And then this bizarre thing of trying to help somebody else, which was, I think, one of the things that, you know, the Oxford group and Wilson had and Smith had. It was some, of course, the theology of all of that is why I hate it. I mean, I hate it with a, well, we, won't, we don't want to go there. But the, the idea that helping someone else helps you yeah. is pretty logical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, kind of going off the subject a little bit, but it's, it's kind of sad when you think about it that they actually, they actually, um, um, discovered that, yeah, you know, we can help each other, but they completely disregarded that and attributed, attributed it all to God. It was yeah, like, it was yeah, like, I mean, it was they were helping each God's other. They, they were helping each other. <laughs> they had, they had a nice little, they had a nice little group there and they were friends. They were helping each other and it was growing and more and more people were coming in, involved and it was all God. <laughs> Through God's grace. Yeah. Oh, I, I, again, to, off the topic, I just coughed a little bit. Isn't it great to be able to cough and not be paranoid when you're talking? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He said, so other good thing about the internet. Yeah. I can true. cough a little bit. Don't have to worry. True. But yeah, I mean, that, that all that stuff, that irrelevant stuff obscures what that irrelevant stuff about God and divine intervention and spirituality and all those other foolish constructs that obscures the reality, which is if we can get our friends to do those things, they'll survive, which was where that second story of the younger man that's in the piece really kicked my ass because I've seen that exact tale. I won't, I didn't tell all the tales I know, but I've seen that story play itself over and over again. You have something. It's good for you. You know how to keep it good for you. You have goodwill people around you that do nothing but wish you well every day. If you're in trouble, you have people you can talk to, people who will go out of their way to help you. And then you get that, and then you receive the benefits of that. Like I say in the article, this guy gets his job back, gets visitation rights with his family, is a top-rate professional, starts making money again, uh, you know, even gets a new girlfriend, you know, which he had despaired of after his various adventures in romance. And you've got all of that. And then you disappear from a meeting. And the next thing, you know, people know you were drinking in your car again. Yeah. <clears throat> and of course, driving. In right. It was a, there was a whole thing about that guy in driving too. Yeah. God. So, uh, you know, it's like, it's the dialectical materialism I alluded to that sort of ABCD logic, which does work when you're sober. I did this, then I did this, then I did this, then I got sober and now my kids don't hate me, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that is logical dialectic with this perplexity of how people who know what the deal is and then go out and uh, die. I don't know if we'll, if it will ever understand it. I don't know. Maybe you know? there's something mystical going on. I think so. Maybe so, but I, you know, Maybe the mystics are right. It's just, I, God knows, you know, God, I say, God, I say metaphorically, who knows, who knows, who knows? It's just, but it is, it is bewildering, and we talked a little bit before we started recording that, um, you know, that sometimes we just, um, I don't know if it was before we started recording, maybe after, but sometimes we just kind of don't think about these people enough, you know? No, I think we let them go too easily. Yeah. Uh, and it it's a defense mechanism. It is, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, because it, if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be, it'd be too much. I mean, I mean, I mean, there were times um, at my old home group where we had a lot of death. We had a lot of people didn't make it, 
Uh, you know, uh, I've known a lot of people and, um, if, if, you know, you have, you just have to find a way to deal with it. Well, sometimes it's, well, it, it's, it's very difficult. You know, I say that we should care more and think more and do more about these ones we would lose and do lose. But in essence, it is their decision. It is. It is. And as adults, I mean, the only people who are without decision are the people who are so mentally ill that they can't tell right from wrong and night from day and all of that kind of stuff. And they're few and far between. I very seldom encountered anybody with that level of mental illness in the program because they end up other places. They don't end up with it if it's that severe. So assuming that you have uh, the power of understanding within you, the fact that it is so blunted and denied is that abiding misery. Um, You know, just another brief anecdote. I've got one of these folks who I've known for many years who uh, finally got 11 years of sobriety. And uh, after I left the conventional program, uh, same way with this other guy, it was after I left conventional uh, AA that I found out about this other thing. But uh, all of a sudden, I'm talking to this guy on the phone that had 11 years and then got most everything in his life back. And in the last three years has lost it all again. And other friends of mine and I are, uh, of mine are trying to work with him and I've tried to talk to him and this and that. And the last time I talked to him some months ago, I said, well, I won't use his name because he may be out there. Listen, but well, fella, the only thing you can do, I can do to help you. And I know you're broke right now because you're broke again. Your wife's frozen all your accounts. You don't have any money. Uh, I'll buy you. This is pre-pandemic. I'll buy you a Starbucks and we'll spend an hour or two sitting around in the Starbucks on the corner next to my house and we'll see what we can do. We'll do anything. He's a veteran. I said, we'll, we'll take you back to the VA. We'll do, and we know you've lost your insurance and everything. We'll take you, you don't need your insurance at the VA. We'll take you to the, we'll take you to the detox up in West Virginia or the other one out on the Eastern shore, wherever it is. We'll take you there, right? We'll do whatever we need to do. No phone call. No phone call to the others. I can't go stalking the streets. I used to stalk the I remember stalking the streets, mm-hmm. looking for an alcoholic one <laughs> to grab him out of a bar yeah. and take him to a meeting, all right? I did that once. I found out he died in the hospital somewhere anyway. So, uh, yeah, I've done, I've done in my younger days would do crazy things like that, but, but it's still a paradox. It's still something we need to pay more attention to. And I, I know in my bones that secular recovery has a better rational system than some of the other methods. Now I'm, I, I'm not going to once listening to say, well, prove it, prove it, prove it. Well, I mean, this is not something that actually we can prove, but I do know for a fact that people that face up to the reality of their situation do better than the ones that fantasize. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For me, for me personally, it's much more comforting to be in reality than to think that there's some sort of supernatural thing that has to happen to me. And besides all that kind of stuff just kind of confuses everything, right? If you have to, if you have to believe in a God and you have to think that something outside of you is going to take care of you, um, that's, that makes it a lot more difficult. It's a lot more complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's so much easier. Right, it's so much know. easier just to be, be in reality where it's like, you know, yeah, actually yeah, it's my, just this guy sitting over here. That's going to help me. And I'm going to yeah, help my, him. Hum, my poor human power means nothing. <laughs> right. My arms too short to yeah, box with God. Yeah, yeah. Surely goodness and mercy will yeah. follow me. 
yeah. know, all of that craziness. But that's another thing about um, what's happening right now with all these online meetings because of the pandemic is more people are becoming aware of secular meetings, whether that be a secular AA meeting or smart recovery or any other sort of a meeting. I mean, uh, and I, and I think that, I think that can make a difference in the long run as you get more, you know, I've got, there's probably thousands of people out there, John, who have been introduced to secular um, recovery meetings that have never, would never have experienced it before. No, because and, of and this. Well, the, 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 my fantasy about secular, as you know, as we did the podcast about once is to just eliminate all this AA foolishness uh, in the end anyway and be just as well-known or available or accessible to the secular alcoholic as the people of a religious bent who will always do well in regular AA. As you know, I've got no problem with regular AA for the people that believe that crap. It's just that I never believed it to begin with. There had to be another solution out there, which I was lucky enough to find when I was young which is why I survived and I'm now old. So, uh, but not everybody's that lucky. And, you know, I think the one thing we could do affirmatively to reduce this awful mortality rate is to let more people know about us. And you're instrumental and you're part of the community in doing that. And, you know, Joe and all the other people that are out there doing it, and the people in the individual groups and the, you know, the great work they do in states like Arizona, where I never thought I'd see so many secular people in a place like Arizona. I, when I went out to that conference a few years ago, I was astonished. And, you know, there's a lot of people, people like our friends up in the Pacific Northwest and, and all around the world, too. Even my dear friends in the London Islington. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I have to have a shout out <laughs> to Islington. That's an inside joke. Well, not so inside joke, but they're great people. I've been talking to some folks out there since our last back and forth about that ridiculous pamphlet. So, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, they're great people everywhere. Great folks in Australia. I've got friends I communicate with regularly in, in China, in Japan. I was just communicating with people in China and Japan. I mean, people I know that we go back and forth on various apps that they use out there. And, you know, so it's a worldwide thing, but it's still people have this assumption that the only way is through this conventional program, which I find completely incorrect yeah but and now I'm, I'm completely off the damn subject well it's yeah it's interesting that but you know it one thing about this pandemic though is more people are becoming aware of it i mean i still get emails occasionally every other day or every other week or something someone sends me an email that they discovered this podcast or they discovered our website and they had no idea that you could have a secular um, experience in AA, or you could, or that you could do this without all the all the God stuff. There are still people that right. are they're just learning that, right? That's and there, what, there are hardcore atheists who have never believed any of this shit, right? Who are sober and happy, ostensibly, right. for right. decade after decade, right? And haven't ended their lives prematurely. Yeah, yeah. And we really but, are, I think, more. Um, the secular world anyway is probably more, not probably, but I think they, we are more, I don't want to brag too much, but I think we're more inclusive because there isn't anything that you've got to do. There isn't there, 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 you know, you can do steps or don't do steps. It doesn't matter. Do, you know, you know, whatever you want to do. But whereas if you go to some of these conventional meetings and it's really gotten worse over the years, um, it's really very, dogmatic to to an extent that i can't even take it anymore um it's this worshiping of the big book and the steps becoming hyper important magical type things and right well we're, we're, we're not monolithic and that's a good thing uh but we are facing to sort of loop back to our original starting point we are facing monolithic threats in the world and COVID is one of them, which will be dealt with 
and hopefully will be just a really nasty memory like the current political administration in the United States will be a nasty. Well, it looks like it's going to be like what happened in 1918, 1919. That was like a two-year well, deal. A, yeah, my, my, my grandmother, my father was born in 1917. He died two years ago when he was 97. His mother died in 1919 of the pandemic. And, you know, his father remarried shortly thereafter. Uh, and my father never really knew that woman. But a pandemic touched my own family in long historical memory, uh, you know, over 100 years ago. And it still reverberates those things. Like this thing will reverberate for generations after us. Oh, man, alive. You know, but when this pandemic first started, I read an article, it was an editorial in the New York Times, and it was really interesting. I can't remember who wrote it, and I'll try to find it, maybe I can link to it. But in the article, he wrote about what happened in 1918 during during the Spanish flu epidemic. And he said that a lot of people, after that epidemic, they wouldn't talk about it because they didn't like who they were during the pandemic. Um, it was a, it was a thing that would take children and sometimes, um, adults were afraid to take care of their children. Uh, there, there were just a lot of things that were going on. People weren't proud of their behavior. They didn't like what they became. And anyway, this guy in his editorial, he wrote, he said that he, his hope was that we in this century, won't have to do that, that we will, that we won't devolve into uh, some sort of a chaotic mess or, or, or regret who we were. And I remember reading that and thought, I don't want to regret who I was and what I did during this pandemic. But you know what? A lot of people will, John. Right. The, a, the, at the, this point in history, the uh, people will be looking back on their behavior at this time. Oh my God. Yeah. The people who aren't who wearing the mask. I mean, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's just, People will regret it. I mean, so this is going to be a very difficult time uh, in the future. And it's going to be with AA, too. I mean, AA is not doesn't live in a vacuum. I mean, there are there are AA groups who poo-poo this whole thing and are still meeting in person, you know? Right. Well, All that we, kind of we know stuff. where they are probably located and who's probably going to them. <laughs> I know. So, but uh, it's but, a different demographic than... Uh, but than when, we come, when we come out of this, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how... Those of the, the those of us who decided to meet online and those that still met in person and how how it's all gonna uh, play out, but we I don't know. See. Yeah, we will we'll see. see. We will see. But we we are faced with this ongoing dilemma that has been, you know, changed. I mean the the way we do this program thing has been totally changed by. COVID, oh yeah, totally, completely, a completely. Revolutionary. You don't, you don't have the big book thumpers anymore. That's impossible. You, can, you know, well, you have, <laughs> you have the key that gets rid of them, right? Yeah, yeah, I you guess can, uh, you can press the button, right? Right. It can disappear off into God's grace. And I think even the traditional meetings are becoming more secular online. Honestly, I do because it's it's like you can't hold hands and pray. You can't even you can't even just pray. <laughs> Can't, nobody can can um, can say anything in unison on on a Zoom meeting, well, right? What, what what brings us together is our mutual need for association with people who share our condition, and that's a universal thing, right? And it it is put into action by us sharing our experience with those people. And uh, I don't think the, I'm just, maybe it's just because I was born in 1948, not 1990-something like my daughters. But, you know, I feel that that we lose a lot when we lose the eye contact and the tactile experience and the ability to go out after a meeting for a, a meal or a coffee or even standing outside on the street. I've had some incredible discussions standing outside of a meeting on the street, getting to know people I would never know in real life. So I think we're, this is great. It's essential. It's vital. 
it's not going going away, but it is not a substitution. No, it's not. It's not. And I look forward to the day when I can see people in person again. Well, we've made it to an hour, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the conversation very much. I, I hope it held together. I guess as always, we'll see. When we play it back, if it oh, does. you know, it's always interesting talking to you. I, I, all I have to do is put a microphone in front of you and I just and record, yeah. press record, and and it's right. going to be and a great. I kept my my profanity and my politics yeah. to a minimum. Yeah, yeah. So that was so, that's good. Although I did say dialectical material. Yeah, and I, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to Google that to figure out what it oh, is. Oh yeah, you'll 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 see some interesting <laughs> faces from other places in the world. Yeah. It'll pop up when you Google that. So that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. And by the way, this is uh, five years that we've been doing this podcast this week, which is unbelievable. And John, you were one of our early guests. Yes, I, and I was. I think it was number three. <laughs> yeah. And I congratulate you so Thank much. You. Yes, we were talking about angry atheists. Right, exactly. Which was very perplexing to me because I never <laughs> got angry about anything. Yeah. I almost threw a water glass at you once, but that's a story we better leave. Yeah, we'll have okay, to but, Thanks, but we're we're good, and uh, you know we've got to keep reaching out to the ones we're losing. If that was any message I wanted to give, yeah, that's the one. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate it. See you later.